sincere thanks to Kennedy Livestock for their support in bringing you my Cows for Cambodia interview. Based in Clermont, Central Queensland, Jake and Erin Kennedy have gained a strong reputation for reliable and personalised service. From special sales like the forthcoming weaner and feeder sale on July 1st in Clermont, or keeping you up to date with market information, Kennedy Livestock can be depended upon when it comes to buying or selling your cattle. Jake and Erin Kennedy also share a strong community focus and have recently organised an enormously successful charity gala, raising funds for Beyond Blue. For all your commercial and stud stock needs, go no further than Kennedy Livestock. Find them on Facebook or call Jake on 0408 816 463. When most of us visit an impoverished country, we come away with a feeling of gratitude for the lives that we lead, but also a certain sense of hopelessness because we feel that there's nothing we can do to help those people living in extreme poverty. Fortunately, for families living in rural Cambodia, Cosi Costello, a television and radio personality from South Australia, devised a unique way to give families hope for their future when he began his charity, Cows for Cambodia. I caught up with Cosy recently, who told me all about Cows for Cambodia and shared with me the best way we in Australia can help his charity. Cosy, thank you for joining me. And I have to tell you, I had enough questions for a feature-length film. Oh, well, hopefully I've got enough answers. <laughs> well, I had to cull them out because I know I don't have you for two or three hours, so... Where did it all start, Cows for Cambodia? Because it's such an incredible initiative. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, I basically, I went to Cambodia maybe about seven years ago now, and uh, purely by chance, because my mate, his uh, sister was working over in Cambodia, and he had been over before, and he wanted me to come along. And I was like, Nah, I don't want to go to Asia. There's too many people in Asia, and I don't like big cities and, and whatever. And and uh, anyway, he ended up convincing me. I said, Fine, alright. Tell me how much it is I'll pay for it and I'll go. And then I ended up going. And then, yeah, when I got over there, um, I'd never seen, like, poverty before, um, certainly about to that scale. And, yeah, I just felt very, very sorry for for the Cambodian people. But at the same time, I also absolutely fell in love with them. Like, uh, they're, they're the, the kindest, most caring race of people that I've ever come across. Um, so that all happened. And then suddenly, fast forward, I find myself going there. I think 23 or four times now in the last six or seven years. It's crazy. That, that's amazing. And um, I'm interested to hear you say how kind and beautiful those people are because I think in one of the um, episodes that was on Channel 9, you said how happy they were. They just had this one, even though they had nothing, they had this incredible sense of happiness. There's something in that, and, and it is that. I think that, yeah, how can Cambodians be the happiest race of people that, that I've met, yet they are the race of people that have got the least materialistic possessions? There's something in that, and I think that's where we go wrong in our Western world life is that we put too high a value on uh, the things you own or the things you wear or the car you drive or whatever, um, and and it almost comes at the expense of a quality of life. Like we think that it's uh, the right thing to accumulate possessions, but, uh, you know, the Cambodians have very little. And I can tell you right now, they're far happier than what we are. There's far less 
you know, anxiety, depression, mental mental health issues and stuff, they're a lot happier with a lot less. And that's what also drives me back there each time because for me it's like every time I go back to Cambodia, it's a little refresher. I come back, better husband, um, you know, a better father, better friend, more caring, more thoughtful, less self-indulgent. It's like a refresher. And I'm lucky I get that multiple times a year before COVID. So, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful thing to go over there and reset your brain and come back completely different. Oh, I just I love that um, analogy of of, of um, you know because because we do we lose sight of really what's important, don't we? Because we have so much going on. So tell me about yeah, cows for Cambodia. So so you came up with the idea of one cow whose name was Adelaide. Correct. Yep. Yep. So how did how yep. did that all transpire? Well, pretty much, uh, like on my second trip, I, I took my wife and kids back to go and see Cambodia because I loved it so much. And I could see the importance of agriculture in Cambodia. About 70% of people that live in the country are all farmers. And uh, unlike, say, Australia, where we congregate towards the cities, Cambodians are spread out through the countryside. Uh, and, and yeah, a high majority of them are farmers. And if you're in Cambodia and you have a cow, it's like life-changing, like you're one of the rich. So, um you know, I thought, well, they've got lots of grazing area. They just can't afford a cow. If I could somehow loan them a cow, uh, then it has has its baby. They get to keep the baby. Then I could move to the next family and you could sort of break the poverty cycle by them having a cow. So essentially, Cows of Cambodia is like a, a normal bank, but instead of loaning money, we, we loan cows. So uh, let's say you're the poor family. I'll, um, I'll give you a pregnant cow. You have to care for her, look after her, and, and keep her uh, nice and healthy. And then when the calf's born, you own the calf, and then we take the cow back, uh, get it pregnant, and move it to the next family. So uh, it's really interesting. When I started, I put in the rule that when the calf's born, you could do do with it whatever you like. So I just assumed some families that really had to would would sell it straight away. And in fact, even now, years years on, only a very small handful of cows have been sold. They they know that this is their get out of jail free card. So they've been hanging on to the cows for breeding. And if they have a, a male calf, we, we were sure that they would just sell the male calf. But in fact, um, 95% of the male calves that are born are traded with other people so that they can have a female. So they'll swap their male for a female and then they just know that then they can have a cow to breed from, you know, for for the next 10 years or so. So, yeah, it's uh, it's really, really exciting. It's, it's grown very, very fast and it's the only thing that stopped us is COVID. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um I mean, COVID's affected so many people in so many different ways, but particularly in those those impoverished countries, it just must be so, you know, magnified so so much more. Um, so, Cosy, I'm interested to know, what do they actually do? How does the cow make them wealthy? Because I imagine that yeah. their neighbour can't buy a cow from them. Yeah, there's always a market for cows. Like the, the the richer people are always buying the cows, but um, so you can always sell them. You could sell, you know, I could ring my guys today and sell five cows in the next hour. Like it's no no hassle at all. It's very strong. Um, but uh, a lot of people ask the, the question, "What do they do with the cow?" And most people think that they milk them, but that's not the case in Cambodia. Uh, in fact, no cows are milked pretty much in the entire country. It's purely for beef production. So they also use them for transportation. They they cart like carts behind them or use them for ploughing in the in the paddocks. But we've seen a huge reduction in in cows being used for that as 
um, you know, tractors and, and all that become a bit more prevalent over there. So so it's primarily just beef production, the same way we produce, you know, um, cattle in Australia for beef. They do the same thing over there. Yeah, yeah. And what's a cow worth? Because, gosh, they're expensive in Australia at the moment. They are very expensive in Australia at the moment. But, but Cambodia prices in the last five years haven't risen a lot. Like to get a good quality um, cow, you're probably paying about a thousand US dollars. So what's that about? You know, seventeen hundred Australian dollars. So um, cattle were always, you know, years gone by. You know, you you could pick up. We were buying Brahmin cows for you know six or seven hundred bucks, which you wouldn't be able to do now. But so back then, cows in Australia were a lot cheaper. Um, now it's now it's coming a lot closer. But the if you took a good Brahmin Australian cow, like uh, over to Cambodia. You know, I would expect to get probably two and a half thousand US dollars for it. So, you know, what's that? Probably, you know, about four thousand Australian dollars for that high quality cow that you just don't really see. And the, the, the quality of cows is very poor. That's why we're at the moment looking uh, at taking um, three bulls over. Uh, so, if anyone's a, a Brahmin stud breeder, um, especially if you're in Queensland, sing out because we're going to fly. Um, we want to source three good high quality bulls and three heifers and then fly them over to Vietnam then across to Cambodia, yeah. Okay, so so we yeah. have to put that call out for three really good quality bulls from some of our good Queensland stud growers. Yeah, and the Brahmins are like seriously my, my favourite. I love the Brahmin cattle. They're, they're just so amazing. And, and you know, for me growing up, all I ever wanted to do was have a farm. And, you know, it's sort of funny in life how I got my dream but my farm's in Cambodia and not in Australia. Uh, we farm sheep now, though, as well. About three years ago, we started buying sheep. We run, just like my family and I, we run between four and 8,000 sheep uh, on a few different properties here in South Australia. Uh, and then I also work for Breakfast Radio in the mornings uh, on SAFM and then mm-hmm. the Channel 7 with my travel TV show on Sunday nights as well. So she's a real mixed-up sort of life, but pretty much 30% of every year I donate my time and energy uh, into charities of some form. bulk of that goes to our own charities, um, but and also other people's as well. Oh, I imagine, Cosie, how overwhelming it is because I was um, part of Sisters of the North, which oh, was yep. a charity which began um, to help those guys in Western Queensland who lost everything in the flood in 2019. And mm. we were just actually wrapping it up, but um, I, it's overwhelming the support that you get, but also running a charity is incredibly difficult. So I take my hat off to you that you have been able to sustain it for as long as you have. And, yeah, just the practicality of, sorry, I just want to go back to the the bulls. So the practicality of, say, we find three bulls over here in in Queensland, where do those bulls have to go to leave for Cambodia or connect? Yeah, we'll fly them out of Brizzy and then they'll go into Vietnam and then we'll settle them down in Vietnam and then we'll truck them across to Cambodia. So basically the the best gift that I'll ever give Cambodia would be Australian genetics. Like the genetics of the Brahmin in um, in Australia are are just miles in front of uh, the the genetics of the cattle that they're bringing there. Yeah, it's crazy. Um. Now, I just wanted to ask you about your rice runs as well and your hay yeah. runs because that's another, you know, alternative for people to assist, isn't it? Yes. You know, the rice run, like I've got 
I've had a lot of ideas and a lot of dumb ideas and a lot of ideas that haven't worked. The rice run is one idea that I think is possibly my best. And it, it came at a time when um, a charity was under investigation here in Australia for not giving, so that someone donates a dollar, they, they said how much of the actual dollar was getting to the cause and it was incredibly low. So it was, it was at a time where charities were under the spotlight. Like people were asking, well, how much money really gets to, you know, the, the cause? So I was over in Cambodia and the need for rice over there is just ginormous. Like they eat um, rice breakfast, lunch and dinner and it's just a huge part of the Cambodian lifestyle. Um, and anyway, I was over there and I thought, oh, what we could do is using social media – I could say, okay, you donate me, you know, 40 bucks right now. I'll go out and buy a 50 kilo bag of rice today and I'll go and deliver it today to a family. And so that you can see your bag, you send me a message and I'll write your message on the bag and text her. And then I'll take a photo with the family, upload it back to Facebook. So it, it's, we call them rice runs. It's the fastest donation anywhere in the world. Like no, no money reaches the cause as fast as a rice run. And basically what happens is we, we do it within the day. But if you, if we start a rice run and you donate, then within hours, we're out in the Cambodian villages handing out the rice that you've paid for. And then that afternoon, we upload all the photos. So you can go through with your family or your kids and you can actually see the family that received your donation and it all happens in a matter of hours. It's, it's amazing. And, and doing that, uh, we added up just for Christmas, like we have fed uh, over 5 million meals out doing the rice run. So we've done one in India. Um, we've done we've done them in Botswana as well. And, yeah, it's just an amazing thing. And, and the beauty of it is when I do tours to Cambodia, I take people over. I've taken about 700 Australians over. They get to participate in a rice run where they're giving away the rice. And, you know, that's just one of the best travel days you could ever have in your life, like to be – that intimate with a family to be invited into the house to to see the joy they get when you give them a 50 kilo bag of rice is something very special i never get sick of that um mm. so, cow, you know it's just to see them you know it's just it's incredible something some they just like we've had people that just fall on the ground and just sob and just weep and weep and weep there's one lady she was about oh, nearly 80 i suppose and we were doing a rice run out in the middle of nowhere and um we came across her on a track and my interpreter said, oh, he just started talking to her. He said uh, she had no idea what we are doing. And he said to me, oh, my God, you're not going to believe this. This lady is walking to the bank to, to try to take out a loan for 50 cents to buy rice to feed her family. Like, and we had like two tons of it on the tractor, you know, a matter of metres away. And she had no idea what we were doing. And then he said, oh, do you think we should give her one of our bags? And I'm like, shit, yeah. Anyway, so then he proceeds to tell her, we're from Australia and we're doing this rice run and whatever. And, yeah, I mean, she was one that she just dropped to her knees and, like, just prayed and just cried and cried and cried and cried. It was amazing. So, And those sorts of things happen, oh, my God, just all the time. That's what I love about Cambodia. For a very little amount of money, you know, you can make a huge difference. We can extract teeth out of, out of kids' mouths that are rotting for three or four bucks. Um, and it's just, like, it's just crazy. Whereas here... If you want to make a difference in someone's life, you generally have to spend quite a bit of money to help a family or an individual. Um, whereas there, it's, it's just a matter of dollars. It's, it's, it's very little to provide a huge amount of joy. And I think that's what drives me you know, to do stuff over there. That's what I really love about it, knowing that you can do that. There's just no greater feeling than giving, is there? And, and having that gratitude returned, it's just oh. the most wonderful, wonderful feeling. And I think um, that's like... You know, like with our with our business day, like 
I just love the success of the projects that I work on. And, of course, some projects make you money, like, you know, with your business and whatever, and that's all fine, but it's not actually the money. I just love the success of seeing a project work, whether it's for a client or whether it's a, a Cambodian family or whether it's a rice runner or whether it's a, a cow that we've given away. I just love it. And it's and it's actually nice to know that, that money's not attached to that feeling. You know, I'll work just as hard for the families in Cambodia as I do for my own family, and I get the same amount of joy seeing them seeing those guys succeed you know as i do mine in fact i'll probably get more when you're when you're in cambodia and you're you know we go to our school for example and when i visited the school once we got that going and you could see the kids english greatly improving and and it was incredible like kids come up and have a conversation with you that learned how to speak in your school we have 300 kids that go go to our school now and um it's amazing And, and one little girl like years ago the school had been going for about 18 months and she came up to me and she's like, uh, hello, Mr. Cozzy. And I was like, hello. And yeah, amazing that she can even say hello and whatever. And, um, and then she said, I said, how are you? She's like, I'm well, thank you. And I said, and, and how's school? She goes, school is very good. When I finish school, I want to be a secretary. And I thought to myself, firstly, you can speak English. That's amazing. Secondly, you know what a secretary is and you've got the desire to, to, to have that as a job, which was just a, it's just a wonderful moment that I've been able to have that same feeling hundreds and hundreds of times. And uh, in Cambodia, if you can learn English, if you can teach a kid English, the chances of their income or their the the income will double um, if they can speak English. So, in our school, we teach English uh, Khmer, which is Cambodian, and uh, and also just traditional Khmer schooling as well. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's really 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 good. It's great fun. I'm exhausted listening to everything you do, Cosy. <laughs> I know. We, we set up, because Cambodia was going well, we set up another one in Botswana. So we've got a similar project in Botswana, but it's uh, it's smaller and it's going to operate a little bit differently to Cambodia. But but I believe in time, we're nearly finished setting up our farm in Botswana. I believe in time that Botswana will be able to fund, the proceeds from Botswana will be able to fund the activities in both Botswana and Cambodia. That's sort of my goal, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cosy, there were three episodes, so that this is how I first came to know about Cows for Cambodia was through Channel 9 and the episodes that they, yeah. um, you know, did for you. Um, but my daughter was, one of my daughters was watching it with me and she said, oh, I would just so love to go over there. So you take people over a few times a year, don't you, and they oh, yeah. say you alluded to that before. Yeah. Yeah, and how about this for a stat? Like, if you come on a tour with us, this is pre-COVID, obviously, we haven't travelled since COVID, but if you come on a tour with us, there is a 45% chance within the next two years that you'll book again and do the exact same tour. Now, basically, if generally in the tourism market, if you do a tour, the chances of you doing the same tour again are next to none. Like, but as is 45%, which means basically nearly half of the people that do a tour love it so much that they come back in the next two years. It's exceptional. Um, some people have done the tour, I think the most is four, four or five times. We've had a couple of people um, that have done it, you know, four or five times. So, yeah, look, I, I think as a tourism product, as a tourism experience, I, I don't know if there is a better tourism experience in Southeast Asia. Like it's something pretty special because we do all the touristy stuff, the temples and all the floating villages, everything that all the other people that go to Cambodia would do. But we do stuff that, the, the average traveller could not even begin to 
contemplate doing just through the relationship forged and, and the work the charity does. You know, you're there building people homes and, and doing rice runs and, you know, we'll have people, you know, drenching cows and pre-testing cows. You have people that are drenching a cow that have never even stood next to a cow before um, and it's just the experience of a lifetime. Yeah, it's, a, it's unbelievable. It's, it's probably that I, I think, yeah, it's just I, I don't think you could get a better experience and, and we see a lot of other tour groups when we're there in Cambodia and I always say to my guys, you know, we'll be at a restaurant, the same restaurant they're at and all our guys, you know, all, all their tour group will be all nicely dressed and clean and tidy and all my guys will be rocking up from a day out in the village, just straight from village to dinner, all dirty, but, you know, like just I feel sorry for the other tour groups because I know my guys have had such such much more intense, crazy experiences than, than those guys. Yeah, it's uh, it's insane. And then when you see my group talk to their group, you can always see our guys just telling these stories about what they did today and the other guys going, oh, we, we didn't do anything like that. <laughs> right. Is there an average age of people that go on that, those tours? Cosy yeah. or they just... Yeah, we wondered that when we started. We, we thought, you know, it might be, might, we might find there's a bit of a, uh, you know, an age age group there. But no, nah, I think everything from 18 to, I think our oldest guy was 90, a guy called Bert, um, and he came twice. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 very... And, and in Cambodia on the tours, I say to people, you can do as much or as little as you like. It doesn't matter. Uh, just being there is enough. I say to people, don't donate, participate. Come over and see where your money gets spent. Um, and and it's it's a very special thing. And, you know, I know that when we open them up again, it's going to be insane. I go back in July um, to basically just check on the charity. We booked the tickets today and, you know, we're going back. Like things are opening up and, and the, the need has never been greater because Cambodians gone through a very tough time during COVID, but the experience will also be greater as well. I can't wait. Anyone that gets to go in the next 12 months is, is like, hang on to your hack. It's going to be a hell of a ride. It's so much fun. Yeah. Cosy, um, during those shows, and you know, you always, whenever all the things I've looked at, um, well, I was researching you. You highlight different um, people who are doing it even tougher than the average person. And um, one lady stood out to me as the lady that was tied up to the chain, mm. and she'd worn the post yeah. away with the chain. So, can you just share that story, dear? Because that just is so sad. Yeah. yeah, and and there's thousands of people that live like that in Cambodia, and it's really interesting because I met that lady on a rice run. Uh, we were just delivering a bag of rice to that family. We'd come across them, and then um, then we noticed her at the back chained up. And, you know, there's this woman probably about 45-ish, and she had a chain around uh, around a pole, and the other end was around her ankle, and she was just chained out the back. And, yeah, she suffers uh, some mental issues, and... She was wandering off and um, she would go and like wreck people's stalls and push stalls over and stuff. Like she's obviously not quite all there. And the the husband of, had to go and work, the father actually, sorry. And he was like, well, if he doesn't work, they don't eat. So he started to chain her up seven years ago. So she's, well, she's been on that chain nearly a decade now. Um, so it was really hard because sometimes like that problem is like way out of my pay grade, you know, like we tried to help her. The, the only solution we could have done would be to build her a lockable room, but we would have basically built her a jail cell and that could have caused a lot of repercussions for the charity, even though it was probably nice and being chained up. We still basically, you know, were, would, would have been responsible for locking a woman up, which would be obviously bad as well. So we set her off to get, like, uh, scans done and everything like that. 
we medicated her for a while. She came off the chain for a little while, but then, yeah, she's, she's back on it now. I was only talking about her maybe a month ago, and, yeah, she's on it most of the time and off sometimes when he's home. But, yeah, it's it's just crazy. There's, there's no – for someone that's with mental illness like that, there's just no – there's no chance for them in Cambodia. It's crazy. We just, like, living in a beautiful, wonderful, amazing country like Australia, we don't, we can't even comprehend that people would live or can live like that. Oh, it's just um Yeah. Incredible. Live like that in the thousands as well. You know, like these things aren't isolated cases and, and that's what is amazing. And, you know, sometimes Cambodia can be overwhelming because everywhere you look, something stuffed up or there's problems everywhere and there's family struggling and that was my hardest thing when I first went over there and I wanted to help everybody and uh, and after a while you become where you, you just say no I'm sorry I can't help you so we'll be faced with scenes of absolute atrocity and people that are just buggered and we have to make decisions based on well there's no point help helping her because she's sort of 80 when that girl over there is 20 and that money could be used to help her. So you have to make some ruthless decisions. But after a while, you become a little bit cold to that and, and you're able to make them a lot more clearly. But it's hard sometimes when we take the groups over there because they're like, you just got to help this person. And it's just like there's reasons that we can't help everyone. And, yeah, it's a, it's a very challenging thing. But mm. So, Cosy, how do people find you? You know, if they do want to help, where do they go? Yeah, pretty much just Facebook, uh, Cows for Cambodia on Facebook is probably the best bet or go to cowsforcambodia.com.au and, and check out, a you know, an episode or two of the show uh, which tells you all about the charity. And, um, yeah, and like like I said to you before, you know, just come on over. Like come over and, you know, book a tour and we get going again. It's the, it is the it is the, the tour of a lifetime and, uh, you know, it's a real life-changing tour too. It's wonderful to if you've got like a you know a, a son or a daughter that you can take on it, or a sister, or it's a real bonding experience for a husband and wife, or something something to do, uh, and it will literally change your life and the lives of others as well. There's not many times in your life you can actually say that. So when we're in Cambodia, <clears throat> just amazing things happen with that group because the group's there, and yeah, it's addictive. It's like a drug. You get over there and you just get stuck into it and just love it so much. Like. Uh, once I'm all done and dusted with, you know, the media here one day, they'll get rid of me for some reason or whatever. I'll just devote the rest of my life to charity. Uh, I, I just wish I found it sooner. That's the biggest thing. So, yeah, but it's, it's great. Oh, it's incredible what you're doing, Cosie, and thank you. I know you're really busy, so I really appreciate your time. And we'll have to work on those three bulls for you. Yeah, dead set. If anyone's a Brahmin breeder, like, uh, yeah, sing out, let us know. Yeah, three bulls or three heifers, one, three heifers we, we need. And, uh, yeah, they'll be treated like rock stars over there in Cambodia, that's for sure. Australian bulls, like, oof. yeah, we're, we're working direct with the government to get uh, access over there where we can just bring them straight in and, um, yeah, it should all happen hopefully in the next few months. Yeah, yeah, great. Thanks, Cosy, so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for everything you do and thanks for taking the time to talk to me. It's a real honour. So I have a sensational day. Very good. You too. Thanks for listening to my interview. If you'd like to hear more from Life Journey, subscribe to our podcast and we'll let you know when we have new interviews coming up.